We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 117 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys. Football is back in South Carolina. The Gamecocks begin fall practice on a Friday. I'll give a full preview of fall practice, including my biggest storylines heading into fall camp, most important position battles to watch, and much more. Also have some news and notes to get to for the Gamecocks. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks defensive back Jimmy Legree as we discuss his career, why he chose South Carolina, being part of the winningest senior class in USC history, playing in the NFL, and much, much more. Before we get into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. Guys, it is time to start buying your football tickets. The season is just around the corner. You're going to need your Gamecocks football tickets, obviously, for the opening game throughout the entire season. SeatGeek is the place to do it. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $10 off your first purchase. Like I mentioned, they've got tickets to literally anything and everything. doesn't have to be South Carolina Gamecock sports. They've got tickets to MLB, NHL, NBA, uh, NFL, concerts, comedy club events. doesn't even have to be sports. Whatever you need, they're going to have tickets there. They've got a great ticket rating system for you which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So you know if you're getting a good deal, you know if you're getting ripped off. It really makes the ticket buying process super simple, super easy, and it really simplifies it for you. You really have that peace of mind before you click the buy button. You know that you're getting the best bang for your buck. So again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show, as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Got a packed show, obviously. You know, it's funny, before I came on, obviously, we're going to be talking about fall practice. Uh, you're listening to this on Thursday. Players reporting today. Fall practice beginning on August the 2nd, which is Friday. I know everyone's very, very excited, obviously, to get things going. It finally feels like we've hit the month of August. Football is officially back. Football will be played this month. It feels good to say that, but it's funny. We're hitting the point right now where I was putting everything together for the show, and We've hit the point officially where, I mean, I'm never truly sick of talking about football, but you get to the point where you're almost like hit a wall where you're like, can we just please start the games already? Because we're starting to talk about the same things over and over and over. And I think that's why you're starting to see like so many heated debates break out on like social media, because I think people are just like, so I don't want to say bored, but just trying to kill time or just we're, we're making up different 
scenarios to talk about. I know different sports talking heads are making up different things, different scenarios, hypotheticals, if you will. So obviously everybody's still counting down. We're 31 or excuse me, 30 days away from kickoff now. Um, depending on when you listen to this. But obviously very exciting. Gamecocks getting back on the practice field. The boys will be putting the helmets and pads on. It's an exciting time. We're in the month of August, and Gamecocks ball will be played in August, on August 31st in Charlotte when the Gamecocks take on North Carolina. But let's dive right into it. Talk about fall practice, preview everything. I already mentioned the guys report today, August 1st, start practice August 2nd. And I want to go over first the biggest storylines heading into fall camp for the Gamecocks. Jumping right into it, I want to start – um, I actually ran a poll on social media asking you guys which was the biggest storyline for the Gamecocks. Um, you guys, you know, it's funny. I gave the options of backup quarterback battle, young players on defense, the running back position, and other. Um, as of right now, the poll still has a little bit to go. Running back position kind of running away with it, if you will, with 48% of the vote. Uh, I'm not going to start there, but very interesting. I appreciate you guys interacting with that. But I'll start. My first biggest storyline, these aren't ranked in these sort of order or anything, just kind of as they came to my head. But the backup quarterback battle. That, that's kind of the one for me you have to start at. That's the one where – that's the one everybody wants to talk about. Ryan Holinsky against on Joyner, which I'm going to get to that even more in a second when I talk about the position battles to watch for fall camp. But the backup quarterback battle, obviously, is something that I think everyone wants to discuss because this is an interesting year for South Carolina in 2019 in the sense of it's a year that – you know, obviously, you have Jake Bentley, a fourth-year starter. You have no issues at the starting quarterback position. But looking ahead, and obviously, this is not something I don't think – well, I, I, I'll take that back. I think him and his staff probably do look ahead, even though he doesn't give it on. He always says, you know, we're looking to win now, we're looking to win now. But you can't help but look ahead to say, you know, you do want to get whoever is your number two. You have to be also thinking about the future while you think about this year because, you know – as great as it would be to have Jake Bentley play every snap in 2019, be healthy, like you want to be able to get somebody else in there to build for the 2020 season because after he's gone, you obviously don't want to be put in a bind and put in a bad situation. Um, but either way, I think, again, it's an interesting season in that regard. I, I to me, the this fall, this quarterback battle, if you will, is really going to define the future of on Joyner at South Carolina. I've said it many times. I'm, st I'm sort of surprised he's still in Garnet and Black. Um, you know, Will Muschamp has said, I believe, by the second fall scrimmage, they're going to have it figured out who's going to be their number two quarterback. And to me, again, I just think this is going to go a long way because the carry-on joiner has made it clear he's a guy that wants to play quarterback. There's no question about that. I talked about before, he has sort of that Lamar Jackson type uh, chip on his shoulder, which is a good thing. He wants to prove people wrong. He wants to prove the doubters wrong, show everyone that he can play the quarterback position, and he's not just a freakish athlete. Um, so I think this is going to be a huge fall for him as far as defining his future as if he stays at South Carolina. Because um, I just find it hard to believe a guy like on is going to become the third string and ride the bench. Um, on the contrary, obviously, if he can win the number two position, um, I think it's going to go a long way. And a lot of the people that have been on the on joiner train, if you will, and have believed in him. And, I, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, he, if he has developed as a passer, that's his biggest thing. We all know he's a crazy good athlete. He showed that last year. He showed that in the spring game. But as he developed enough as a passer to challenge for that number two spot, um, obviously the other guy he's competing with, Ryan Holinsky. Um, the bigger question mark to me for Holinsky is if he does win the number two spot, how much can Ryan Holinsky push Jake Bentley for playing time? Um, you know, I'm fully expecting, obviously, when the Gamecocks, hopefully there's a couple of games where the Gamecocks get up big enough on opponents to where – you know, you specifically think week two against Charleston Southern, you know, we should see a couple of these guys take snaps. But I'm curious, whoever wins this number two position, again, I don't think Jake Bentley's job is at risk at all. 
But this is something I've talked about before that I, I'm interested, you know, if I could ask Will Muschamp one question, it would be what is the leash on Jake Bentley? Because we've, we've grown accustomed and we know what Jake Bentley – we know he can be hot and we know he can be cold. And do you have a guy capable enough to come in when Jake Bentley hits that cold spot or hits a rut, if you will? Um, or is that even an option for them? So, obviously, it's the thing everyone wants to talk about, the backup quarterback battle. I think it's going to – I don't know how much of an impact it's really going to make on the 2019 season. Um, but this is something you're building for 2020 and beyond. I mean, this is obviously going to be a very big battle moving forward because after Jake Bentley's gone after this 2019 season, it's going to be Ryan Holinsky, the carry-on joiner, assuming he stays on campus, Luke Doty. Um, those three guys duking it out. So I, I think this, this, this backup quarterback battle is going to go a long way, not just for the 2019 season, but for beyond as well. Uh, another big storyline for me. Whenever you come into fall camp, this is always a huge storyline. It's simply just staying healthy, especially when you have the, the injury issues that the Gamecocks had a year ago. Like I mentioned, they were decimated by injury. They all seem to come on defense. I mean, we all very vividly remember the Gamecocks fielding a defense against Clemson and Virginia that I think they had seven true freshmen on the field at once. It was crazy. I mean, you had just a laundry list of players out with injury. Um, getting through fall camp is priority number one. No questions asked. That is the most important thing outside of all the position battles, outside of all the, the, the coach speak and all the player talk you hear from fall camp. Getting through it healthy is the number one thing. Basically, it's a kind of a thing where no news is good news. Um, you do not want to hear about guys tweaking stuff, ankles, and you know anybody getting hurt. So the Gamecocks needing to stay healthy, obviously. They're already limited on bodies in some positions as far as depth. Um, depth is an issue at some places. So Coming out of fall camp healthy to me is, I think it's a huge storyline every single fall camp you go through as a fan and as a, you know, really as a coach and someone involved in the program. You want to get through fall practice completely healthy, and that's going to be even more of an emphasis for the Gamecocks simply because of what the season they're coming off of and the amount of injuries they had a year ago. Um, another one, obviously, that this has developed over the last couple of days was unable to get it on the Monday show simply because of the timeliness of which the, the news dropped. But Tavian Feaster, Tavian Feaster's a Gamecock, officially, officially official, Tavian Feaster's a Gamecock. So the running back position now becomes a huge, I mean, it was already a big storyline. It becomes a huge storyline for this 2019 season and for fall camp for the Gamecocks. Obviously, Feaster inserts himself into the battle for the number one back. Um, I fully expected to be Fe uh, Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle really battling for that RB1. But there is a long list of guys who are going to be fighting for carries. Um, I think a lot of Gamecock fans, including myself, are expecting Feaster to come in and really take over the, RB, the, uh, the running back one role. Um, because if he's the dude that we all think he is and we've heard about and we've seen on tape and what he was coming out of high school, I mean, listen, he's second all-time. You know, he leaves Clemson second all-time in yards per carry. So the guy has some talent. So um, the running back position just became a lot more intriguing for the Gamecocks as far as Feaster inserting himself into the battle. And I just think it's something that uh, – Gamecock fans will certainly want to keep an eye on. Obviously, there will be a, a lot of ears on Thomas Brown when he speaks. Uh, when he speaks, whenever his appearance is for fall camp, there are going to be a lot of people asking a lot of questions about Tavian Feaster and how that, that running that battle is shaping out. Because, again, with all due respect to the other guys, I completely think it's a two-horse race between Tavian Feaster and Rico Dowdle, barring any injuries or anything crazy like that. Um, one of my other storylines, I talked about this, and I had it in the poll on social media. Young players on defense, yeah, young players on defense really finding their roles, I think is going to be something very interesting because Will Muschamp, he talks about this a lot, 
is that guys' roles are determined in fall camp. You know, where these guys are going to fit in, how much of an impact they're going to make, how much they're even going to play. That's all figured out in fall camp. There's a lot of young talent on this team, but mainly on the defensive side of the football that I think is going to have to play and contribute this year. But obviously the question is, how do all those guys fit in? What type of impacts do they make? What type of roles do they play? Um, got a couple of guys that just come to mind off the top of my head. Zach Pickens and Joseph Anderson up front. Um, you've got a ton of young defensive backs and guys like John Dixon, Jamie Robinson, uh, Shiloh Sanders, Cam Smith. Um, the list goes on and on with those guys. A bunch of those guys that I think will play and can make an impact. Um, and then you've got some solid young linebackers as well. You talk about Derek Boykins, Jamar Brown, et cetera. Um, so a lot of youngsters on defense, again, that I think can be impact players for this team. I mean, you think about last year with fall camp. We heard about J.C. Horn. We heard about J.C. Horn before it ever even happened. That was a guy that stood out. Who's going to be sort of that J.C. Horn this year on defense? Who's going to be that guy that makes their presence felt and is really standing out on defense? And um, I, you think two years ago, I think Shai Smith was the guy everybody was talking about. It always seems like there's one guy that all the coaches and there's just some buzz about. And it doesn't always pan out. But a lot of times it does because when you have that many people talking positively about you and what you're doing and, you know, those guys can see it. Uh, they see it before we do. So, um, you know, just all the young talent on defense, how does it all fit in? How does it play into what South Carolina is trying to do on defense? How much really of a contribution can these guys make? That's something that's going to be figured out on defense. And I'm just curious. I'm very curious to hear and stay tuned to what the coaches are saying and how they're talking about different guys because – I think you can sort of look into – I think you can kind of look into what some of their comments are on who's kind of – who's stepping up, who's filling in certain roles, and what type of impacts these guys are going to be making. Um, all right, so let's get into the position battles, my most important position battles to watch. I had a, a, an article about this a couple of weeks ago uh, on the SpursUpShow.com. But uh, the biggest position battles to me, like I said, a lot of them I've already talked about. I'll give you three right now. Or actually, I'll give you four. Um, the first one, like I mentioned, Ryan Holinsky versus on Joyner. That, that is a huge position battle, one that everybody's going to be talking about, asking about. Um, and, again, I, I think this is a very interesting battle, like I mentioned, because, again, I think this is going to go a long way in determining the future of on Joyner at South Carolina. Um, I, I still fully believe that even if he doesn't win the number two job, the backup job, that uh, he will he will stick it out this season because I think they're going to use him in different packages. I just don't see a way where you cannot get to carry on Joiner on the field. I think that's something that Muschamp hinted to. I think this spring when he was talking, um, but I, I just I have a hard time believing that a guy like to carry on Joiner if he gets beat out by a true freshman and Ryan Holinsky, how much longer he's realistically going to stick around. Um, this is a huge fall for the carry on Joiner. No questions asked, like I talked about earlier. And then also for Ryan Holinsky, though, <clears throat> you know, I, I, think it's, I think it's a pivotal fall for him as well, again, to continue developing. And really, to be honest with you, the way I look at it, if Ryan Holinsky is the guy that we all think he is, this blue chipper out of California that's going to come in and be the next dude for South Carolina and be a big-time SEC quarterback, and, you know, he, there's a you know, decent chance he might be that guy. But if he's going to be that guy, you've got to come in and win this position battle, in my opinion. Like, if you, you can't be – all that hype around you and come in and not be able to beat out a guy that has serious, serious questions about his ability to pass the football. Something as simple as that. Now, I think the interesting thing about the position battle is that I don't know, I, you know, Muschamp may actually name a number two. I expect on the depth chart to see a big or in between the two guys, but you never know. He may come out and name a backup, but uh, 
again, it, it's, it's pivotal for both guys for different reasons, in my opinion. Like I talked about before, it's a big battle in the sense that it's going to determine a lot, not just for the, both individual players' futures, but for the future of Gamecock football. You know, where is it heading? Because, again, this is going to be the biggest storyline of the offseason going into the 2020 season is the starting quarterback position. Who is going to be your starting quarterback? Um, so very interesting stuff there. My other position battle to watch, obviously I mentioned this one earlier as well, Tavian Feaster versus Rico Dowdle. Um, again, it's kind of a similar situation with these two guys. Um, I, you know, it's funny. I wonder how Rico Dowdle feels right now. I mean, a senior, he ha- he's been injured his entire career, had a great freshman year, but since then been injured, been inconsistent. You know, he's thinking probably in the spring or whenever, you know, he's going to be the number one guy again, and he's going to get all the carries, and maybe this is his year. And then insert Tavian Feaster. And just flips this entire conversation – or it flips this entire competition on its head. But uh, it's a similar situation in the sense that, you know, it, I mean, obviously this is Rico Dowdle's last go. I mean, this is, this is all – this is it for Rico Dowdle. Um, so, you know, it's up to him to sort of break through, be healthy, obviously. I know that's kind of something out of his control, I guess you could say. But to break through, be healthy, be that guy, and really push Tavian Feaster because I think most people – are expecting Tavian Feaster to be the number one running back. I know I am. I mean, a guy like Tavian Feaster is not transferring to sit the bench or to split carries. He's transferring to play. He's transferring to be the dude. So how does Rico Dowdle react to that? I mean, is Rico Dowdle, you know, mope and, you know, kind of feel sorry for himself and get, you know, maybe get surpassed by somebody else in the depth chart? Or does he take it as a challenge, become even better because iron sharpens iron, competition, you know, breeds more competition. It makes everyone around you better. That's the one good thing about it. Um, does he take it head on and take it that way and, you know, level up his game and give the Gamecocks a great one-two punch, even if he doesn't win the competition? Um, that's obviously still to be seen. In Tavian Feaster's case, obviously, this is a big position battle because almost like I talked about with Ryan Helinski, it's going to be a ma- – I mean, I just can't even fathom Tavian Feaster coming in and not winning the starting running back job. I think it'll be a huge disappointment. I mean, you're supposed to be this guy. You're supposed to be the guy who's going to come in and be, I don't know if a workhorse is the right word because I'm not sure they're going to give the football to him 25 to 30 times a game, but you're supposed to be that dude at the running back position. You're supposed to be the answer. So to me, who's it going to speak more to if they win this battle? Is it going to speak more to Rico Dowdle and his improvement? Or is it going to speak to Tavian Feaster and maybe him not meeting expectations we all had for him? So again, it's an important position battle for both guys individually for completely different reasons. But it's certainly one that will be heated, something to watch. Um, again, I fully expect Tavian Feaster to be the starting running back against North Carolina. I know a lot of people have questions about all oh, the playbook and this and that. The guy's going to be fine. It's simple. Take football, run with football. I know it's more complex than that, but, I mean, the guy's a college football player. This isn't like his first time opening up a playbook before. I think he'll be fine. But, uh, but again, that's going to be a huge one to watch because, again, if Tavian Feaster is this dude that we think he is, he really should come in and win that job. Um, and either way, no matter who wins it, both guys really need to fuel off each other and give the Gamecocks a good one-two punch at the running back position, something they just simply haven't had the last couple of years. Uh, another big position battle for me, the nickel position. Um, talking defense at nickel. Currently listed on the depth chart right now. It's funny. The Gamecocks released the depth chart right before SEC Media Days. You look at the depth chart. You have R.J. Roderick and J.C. Horn um, are listed at that position. That's great. The only problem is those guys are also – or uh, R.J. Roger is listed as the starter at safety, and J.C. Horn is listed at the starter at cornerback. So those guys can't play two positions at once. So 
that position battle might be being fought by guys that aren't even on campus yet or guys that aren't even on the roster yet or the depth chart yet. Um, obviously, you know, defense is kind of interesting when you're talking position battle simply because, you know, simply because guys shuffle in and out so much, whereas on offense you have a lot less shuffling. So when you're battling for a starting quarterback position, that guy plays all the time. Um, you know, it's not so much – you know, on defense, a lot of different guys shuffle in and out and in and out. But to me, in the defensive backfield in general, there's going to be a lot of position battles there to watch in general. How do it's just, and it's a lot going back to what I said about the young players on defense finding their roles and how do they integrate in the college football? How quickly do they adjust? Guys like Shiloh Sanders, John Dixon, Cam Smith, Jamie Robinson. How do those guys evolve and how, what type of roles can they play? Um, because again, like I mentioned, you have those guys on the depth chart. Um, those guys have got their own position to play. Somebody's going to have to step up at the nickel. Is it going to be one of the freshmen? I wouldn't be surprised if it is. Um, but obviously something to watch there in the defensive backfield as well. Um, one last one I want to touch on as far as the position unit previews are concerned. I had this one in the article, and I figured why not. Uh, the article I had on the SpursUpShow.com. The battle for kickoff returner. Uh, this is a big one because Debo Samuel's in the NFL. He is no longer at South Carolina, obviously doing big things with the, with the 49ers. Who's going to step up and be the guy that can make an impact in special teams? Again, I talked about in the special teams preview. I don't expect special teams to be as big of an impact, obviously, as it was last year or years prior because you don't have Debo Samuel anymore. But who's going to be the main returner for the Gamecocks? And I had listed here A.J. Turner versus Shy Smith versus question mark because there are other guys that can fight for this position. Um, A.J. Turner's a guy who's done it before. Um, he had a long 80-yard kick return against East Carolina in 2016. Shai Smith is a guy that we've all talked about as being a guy that can fill in for Debo as a playmaker. I'm not 100% sure that he's going to be returning kicks and be that all-around sort of dude. But obviously, I think a guy that is an option. Um, you think of another guy, Jamie Robinson. I've talked about him, the freshman, a guy that has done that type of thing before, has great athleticism. Um, I talked about this before in the special teams preview. You think of Jemias Williams. It it's sort of seems like a more wishing than a realistic thing right now, but Jemias Williams maybe. We know the athleticism. We've all seen his high school tape of what he could do returning kicks. Um, and then you think of a guy like Josh Van maybe. So, I mean, there's a lot of different guys, you know, battling for this spot. And it's an important spot for the Gamecocks simply because the Gamecocks and Gamecock fans certainly have seen the type of impact special teams can have on a game. I mean, I talked about this already on the special teams preview, so I won't go crazy deep into it, but there are a lot of different games the Gamecocks had that if they don't get a special teams touchdown or a big play on special teams, I'm not sure they win the game. Um, so this is going to be a big one for me, finding a guy that's not only dependable back there who's going to catch the football, who's going to keep take care of it, obviously, but a guy who can break one for you, a guy who can change a game and flip a game and change the momentum because of a big return or because of a big play or what have you. So – I think that'll be interesting, something else to watch as well. Um, but, yeah, so obviously a lot of interesting position battles going on through fall camp and a lot of, you know, just interesting storylines to follow in fall camp, no doubt. It sucks that no practices are open. That would make it a lot more fun to follow. But, uh, you know, we'll obviously be going off of what the coaches and players and other people say. But uh, overall, obviously, very, very excited for fall camp. Obviously, football is back in South Carolina um, we officially hit August. You know what that means? There is Gamecock football in August. So it's just good to have the boys back on the field and uh, going to be a very, very exciting time um, as we finally going to have some tangible things to talk about instead of our, you know, preseason lists and these, you know, hypotheticals we all make up during the offseason. There's finally football to talk about. It feels so good. 
Um, all right, let's get into some news and notes here. Um, Gamecocks do pick up a commitment over the last couple of days. Kai Kroger commits. He's the number two punter in the country. If you guys have not watched his highlight tape, it's funny when this when the reaction to this because Will Muschamp put up his traditional Spurs up tweet and everyone was scrambling. Nobody knew who it was. I even got a text from my brother that said, you know, what if it's Jordan Birch? Oh, my God. And it's Kai Kroger, the punter, which I'm excited about. There were some Gamecock fans that weren't quite as thrilled because, you know, it's a punter. It's not going to move the needle with a lot of fans. But, hey, give the special teamers their credit. Uh, again, kid is number two punter in the country. You need to watch his highlight tape if you haven't. Um, this dude drops bombs. I mean, every, every punt he hits, and he's left-footed, which is great because um, it sort of switches up the spin. This is not coming from me. I listened to Pat McAfee's podcast when he, he was a you know, kicker in the NFL. So he's talked about this. So let me cite my sources there. But, uh, yeah, talking about the opposite spin, to have a left-footed punter is actually a huge advantage for, for special teams. So good pickup, obviously. I mean, Listen, it's not a sexy pickup, but you need a good punter. I mean, look at look at Joseph Charlton. Look what he's done. So you need a good punter. Um, also, other news and notes: USC Athletics Hall of Fame class announced, highlighted by Marcus Lattimore and Rashad Faison from football. Obviously, some others from all across the sports. But awesome to see. Definitely, long time coming from Marcus Lattimore, a guy that uh, you know still still lives in the minds of many Gamecock fans, and some would argue the best Gamecock of all time. I believe they said they, those guys will be in uh, will be recognized at the Florida game the Florida football game. So, good to see. Also, something that dropped today, men's basketball getting u- new uniforms. That is confirmed, apparently. They're going to be releasing a hype video with Mike Coatsar sporting the new threads. I can only imagine what those uniforms are going to look like. It's, it's uh, yeah, I'm very intrigued, actually. I'm very intrigued to see what the new uniforms are going to look like for South Carolina basketball. So, all right, cool. Let's get into some listener questions. Have a ton of them. Very excited about the listener questions. You guys did not disappoint this week or for this episode, if you will. Um, We'll jump right into it. Cut of gentlemen. How special teams looking as far as return men? So I just talked about it, obviously. I think it's a battle for kickoff returns between A.J. Turner, Shai Smith, Josh Van, Jamie Robinson, Jamias Williams. I think that's kind of the main guys. Like I talked about in the special teams preview, gun to head right now, I would say that they're going to put A.J. Turner back there because he's done it before and he's dependable. That's just my opinion. So um, TGH underscore three, how will the running back rotation look? Yeah, in my opinion, again, like I mentioned, I think Tavian Feaster is going to be your number one running back. Rico Dowdle will be your backup. And then from there, really, it's going to be, I think, mix and match. I mean, I expect Mon Denson to continue to get carries. Um, Deshaun Fenwick, Kevin Harris, even the freshman. You know, how much does A.J. Turner really figure in because he's playing defensive back as well? And I think the addition of Tavian Feaster may give Turner the ability to switch over to defense and play that full time. Because, I mean, listen, you can't, you can't play six running backs or even five running backs or four running backs. So it's great to have that depth. But I think it's really going to be a backfield just consistent. We're going to see a lot of Feaster and Dowdle. Granted, he stays healthy, and both guys stay healthy. So um, TGH underscore three again. Is all the pressure on Bentley now that all – excuse me. Is all the pressure on Bentley now that all the other pieces of our offense are looking good? I, I talked about this on the Daily Crow the day. I think absolutely. I think there's there's obviously pressure on the starting quarterback in the SEC anytime you come into a season. That is just – that comes with the position. But – you know, I certainly think with the pressure that Jake Bentley has had on him and the pressure coming into his senior year to have a good year, I think with the addition of Tavian Feaster, I think that's something nobody's talking about. It, it heightens the pressure that is on Jake Bentley because now you feel like there's no excuse. Now you feel like, Jake, you've got your guy. You've got your running back. If this guy pans out and as good as he's supposed to be, and the offensive line, which I expect to be good again this year, three returning starters, but Eric Wolford's done a great job recruiting there as well. Um, so you've got your guy, you've got a good offensive line. There's really no excuse now. 
And I don't think Jake Bentley's going to have an excuse this year, really. Again, as long as Tavian Feaster pans out and is the guy we expect. So um, I, I certainly agree with you, man. I, I And again, I said that on the Daily Crow. I think that this only raises the level of, of pressure that he's probably feeling, um, that he needs to go out and play well every single week because, again, he's going to have the support for the longest time. We, you know, And I've said it too. I mean, as much criticism as, as I've given Bentley um, – he hasn't had a running game. He, he has had no help. It has been on him 100%. Now he's hopefully – now hopefully. I say hopefully. I just – God, I pray and hope. But now he's not going to have to do it all on his own. So I certainly do think there is more pressure on Jake Bentley to have a good senior season. Um, T. West 6305. Glad he is here, but was Feaster just a gamer? He always fell to in depth chart every year. Um, I don't think anything about him being a gamer or anything questioning his game. He's behind Travis. He was behind Travis Etienne, who you could argue is the best running back in college football. So you're just kind of in a bad situation when you get behind a guy like that. I don't think it has anything. I don't think it speaks anything to his game. Um, there's a lot of guys. I mean, listen, every single running back on the South Carolina roster, including Feaster, would be behind Travis Etienne. There's not even a question. So I don't think it speaks negatively to him at all. Um, he was just in a situation where you're not going to beat out that number one guy. Um, the Joel Sario, with the new UGA running back commitment, which is Kendall Milton, um, do you think that helps our chances with getting Tank Bigsby? Tank is a guy everyone wants to talk about, obviously, and everybody's keeping a very close eye on for good reason. Um, you know, it only helps, I would imagine. I would imagine it only helps just from a sheer number standpoint. But, you know, I, I don't know that it helps or hurts either way. I mean, again, I think it can only help. But uh, – I don't know if anybody really knows what's going on in that kid's mind right now. I feel like it's between South Carolina and Auburn mainly, but uh, you know, we're all just kind of waiting. I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear something same as you guys are. Trust me. Um, Cody Branham. Do you see any of the current running backs transferring with Tavian Feaster coming in? This is a great question. And I talked a little bit, a little bit about earlier with such a crowded backfield. I mean, it's just so late in the process. So I don't know if anybody will really transfer right now. But, you know, th this is something that's interesting because those guys could have the option. I mean, a guy like Rico Dowdle, a guy like Mon Denson, I, I don't see it happening simply because, again, it's so late in the process. And, you know, these guys, I mean, listen, with all due respect, where's Rico Dowdle going to transfer and be an immediate starter unless it's a smaller school? I mean, heck, where's Mon Denson going to transfer and be an immediate starter? It's going to be a small school. I mean, look at Tyson Williams. He transferred. He's, he's at BYU. We don't know if he's going to even be starting, but he's at BYU. So it's just so late in the process. I don't know if you'll see anyone transfer immediately, but I would not be shocked. I mean, especially if the Gamecocks land Marshawn Lloyd, which they already haven't committed, and Tank Bigsby. You throw those two guys in the mix next year, then you've got Marshawn Lloyd, Tank Bigsby, Kevin Harris, Deshaun Fenwick. It wouldn't shock me if one of those guys decided to transfer because the running back room can only be so crowded. I mean, as a player, you have to think, you know, am I going to get carries? Am I even going to get the opportunity to get on the field? So it wouldn't shock me at all. But I think right now it's just so late in the process. I think if this would have happened in April, I would have had a serious – I would have been very interested to see if a guy like Rico Dowdle transferred out or a guy like Mon Denson or really any of those older guys because, you know, you have to imagine they all want to play. They all want to get carries, and there's only so many carries to go around. So um, Bobby underscore key, what jerseys do you think we wear for UNC? So I actually had to do some digging here. I believe we're the home team. I had a couple people tell me we're the home team, so I'm going to stick with that. So for jerseys for this game, that's a very interesting question. If I had to predict what jerseys for UNC, I'm probably going to say black, black, white. 
I don't know why that's the first one that comes to my mind. We're going back to the Outback Bowl jerseys from 2018. Black, black, white against UNC. Um, Matt Pack underscore aha. First Friday night in Cola. Where are you going out to eat and where do you go to hit the town? Great question, Matt. Obviously, as you guys know on a personal note, I'm moving to Columbia literally next week. Cannot freaking wait. Going to be a game changer. First Friday night, though, where are you going out to eat and going to hit the town? You put me on the spot here. Going out to eat, um, I'll be honest with you, probably Bojangles. <laughs> I haven't had Bojangles in a long – it's been a couple months since I've had Bojangles. So I'm probably – honestly, the first meal, for you guys that don't know, I've been, I haven't been in South Carolina this entire summer. Um, so I've had no Bojangles. So the first, the first meal I have when I get back to South Carolina is going to be Bojangles. So the first Friday night in Cola probably won't be Bojangles. Um, you know, Paulie's is a good option. Um, I don't know though. There are a lot of different places, a lot of, you know, home, oh, home team barbecue, definitely a great option. But, uh, and then as far as where am I going to go out, man, everywhere in five points is a good option. I like the vistas too, but everywhere in five points is a good option. I got a couple of buddies that work down in five points. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to, you know what, I'm not going to put any on the spot. I'm trying to partner up with a couple of places in five points. I don't want them to get, uh, pissed if I do or do not mention them, which obviously I would because they're awesome places. But I really, honestly, everywhere is good in five points. You can't go wrong anywhere at five points. Um, Matt Pack underscore aha again. What will, be the, what will be the least newsworthy headline that will come from camp? The least newsworthy headline. Um, hmm. The least newsworthy headline. Probably, you know what the least newsworthy headline of like every camp is? is there's always one guy that says, like, I'm in the greatest shape of my life. That, that guy or that headline. So-and-so says they're in the greatest shape of their life. I don't know if that's one that's prevalent really in college, but in the NFL and professional, it's so prevalent because these guys get older, obviously. But uh, the, the least newsworthy headline to me will probably be anything about Jake Bentley and how much better he is as a senior because nothing that he does in fall – I mean, and that's not a knock on Jake Bentley. It's just simply nothing that he does in fall camp matters or is going, to, is going to dictate what anyone already thinks. I mean, he's just got to go do it on the field, right? Because, so that would, to me, be the least newsworthy. Either that or what candy Javon Kinlaw had that day, because that seems to be a, that seems to be a topic of conversation every time he takes the podium. So, <laughs> um, Matt Pack underscore high. One, one last question from him. Have your thoughts changed on Tank Bigsby being most likely a Gamecock? I mean, I still feel good about it. I mean, I really do. I mean, listen, people freak out and get so upset when they see these kids. I mean, it's like, dude, they're going to take visits. Every kid is enjoying the recruiting process. They're all going to take visits. There was a picture shown of him the other day, I believe, in some South in a South Carolina shirt. I don't think it really means anything. I think South Carolina is still in the fight for it. I still feel good about it. I mean, I feel, I feel as good about South Carolina getting the kid as any other school probably feels about getting the kid. So, we don't know what's going on in his head, but I mean, people, just you got to relax and chill out. I know some of you read these message boards and these people tell you different things and, you know, these, these quote unquote recruiting insiders like, dude, nobody knows until the kid signs the dotted line. These kids are going to enjoy the recruiting process. Like, and every time they go visit somewhere, like, what do you expect the kid to go visit Auburn or Georgia and be like, you know what? That visit sucked, actually. I like South Carolina more. Like, I think that's what a lot of you want to hear them say. No, they're going to enjoy everywhere they go. Like, they're going to say, it was great. I loved it. I love this. I love – like, it's all positive. Of course it's going to be all positive. They pampered the kids on the visits. Like, no kidding. Have you ever heard of a kid having a bad visit? Is that even a thing? So, I mean, I think everybody just needs to step away from the ledge when it comes to 
Tank Bigsby and Jordan Birch and let them make the decisions, and then we can all jump on the ledge depending on what happens. <laughs> um, Josh Cole, four, how many years away are we from being a top 10 team again? I talked about this before a couple of shows ago. I mean, I think it's two or three years, probably three years. I think that, uh, you know, in two to three years, I would say, you know, Will Muschamp will have had, what, five or six recruiting cycles by that point, which is what I really think it takes to become a contender year in and year. And I'm just talking about contending for the SEC. I'm not even talking about the national championship. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think at that point, the Gamecocks will be a borderline top 10 team. You know, you give Ryan Holinsky the reins there. He's going into his sophomore, his junior season. Luke, he's battling with Luke Doty. Who knows? Luke Doty might take over as the starter. Um, and I, I really do feel at that point they're a top 10 program. And I'll tell you this, to be honest with you, I don't think Will Muschamp's still the head coach if they're not. I, I mean, I just, I don't, you know, we, you know, everyone's given, well, if you think the, the, the hot seat is hot now, which I don't think there's any hot seat. Some people like to say there is. In three years, if South Carolina is still a seven-win program, I don't think Will Muschamp has a job. So um, I, I think two to three years, more realistically, probably three. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's coming. I just think it's simply recruiting and building the program. I mean, that's all you can do. Um, B underscore Baker 19, do you think the younger running backs stick it out considering the addition of Feaster and the talent coming in? Yeah, I, mean, I talked about this a little bit earlier. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw a couple guys transfer out um, a guy like, especially like a Deshaun Fenwick, who I feel like has been kind of inconsistent if he, and this is going into next year now, because I don't think anybody's transferring out right now or this year, but, uh, you know, guys like Deshaun Fenwick, Kevin Harris, maybe a couple other youngsters. I mean, yeah, certainly. I mean, cause again, guys want to get carries. They come to college to play football. So, and if they have a better opportunity to do that elsewhere, I, it wouldn't shock me at all if you at least see one guy transfer out of that running back, uh, that running back group in 2020. Bart B, 22, how many yards, if healthy, will Dowdle have in 2019? That's a great question. Um, that is a great – so how many yards will he have if he stays healthy the entire year? I'm putting Rico Dowdle right around 450, 500. I, I just – I really – I think you're going to see Tavian Feaster be around 750 or 800, and I, I could see Rico Dowdle being around 500. We'll say 500 yards. 500 yards, three or four touchdowns. Um, and Tavian Feaster, I expect to see it like 800 yards and nine or eight, eight or nine touchdowns. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to kind of pick those numbers out. But now nah, I think Rico Dowd will be floating in that 400 to 600 yard range for the Gamecocks if he's healthy the entire year, obviously. Um, last question here AC underscore Gregory 94. Tank just posted with our gear on shrugging emoji. Like I said, guys, I mean, it's, it's recruiting. Kids have got all this free gear. They rock everything. They put up little things on social media, and people lose their minds. I mean, it's awesome. Again, we're in the fight form. I didn't think we ever were not in the fight form. I just – I think people kind of jump off the ledge when a kid visits somewhere else. It's like, dude, he's going to visit. I mean, these kids take visits. So, I, I don't know – I don't know. I just don't understand, like, people losing their minds when these kids take other visits to places. But – Certainly, Tank Bigsby, a guy the Gamecocks need. There's no question he's a guy they need. Jordan Birch is 100% a guy the Gamecocks need. But I feel good about it. I mean, I feel as good as you can about all those guys. It's just kind of waiting and seeing now. And nobody's in the mind of those kids. And, you know, nobody really knows what the kids, what the decision is that they're going to make. So, um, all right, appreciate the listener questions, guys. Ton of listener questions, obviously, there. I really do appreciate it. Got a fantastic interview now coming up with former Gamecocks defensive back Jimmy Legree. Jimmy, an awesome dude. We had a great conversation uh, just about, you know, it's actually funny. He's a Buford kid. So being kind of underrated as a prospect, I believe Jimmy was only a two- or three-star recruit. Um, but why he chose South Carolina, just being sort of underrated, being part of the winningest 
senior class in school history. It's funny. There were so many great games to talk about. Um, he was there from 2009 to 2013. So, I mean, literally the best era in college or uh, South Carolina football, Jimmy Legree was there. I mean, you, you couldn't have asked for a better career for a guy like that, also playing in the NFL, tons of other stuff. And Jimmy, again, an awesome dude, a phenomenal conversation. And the interviews brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. I mentioned earlier, again, guys, the season's creeping up. We're just – we're under a month away from kickoff, which is crazy to say. We've literally been counting down since 100 days every single day. We're under a month now, so it's certainly time to get your Gamecocks football tickets. If you need tickets to any of the games, SeatGeek is going to have them, and why not save some money in the process? Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP to save $10 off your first purchase. A lot of people ask me, Chris, I've already got a SeatGeek account. I can't use your promo code. It's simple if you want to use it. Download or if you don't have the app, obviously, download SeatGeek or go to SeatGeek.com. Just create a new account with a new email. Create a new account with a new email. You can use the promo code SPURSUP. That's S-P-U-R-S-U-P. You're going to get 10 bucks off. I'm literally giving you $10. Why not save $10 on that purchase? Again, they got Gamecocks football tickets. If you want to go to something else, NFL, NHL, NBA, uh, MLB, they've got concerts, comedy club events, festivals, literally anything you can buy tickets to, they're going to have it. Um, SeatGeek's the best. They've got that ticket rating system I talk about all the time where – they really do the work for you in regards to you get the best bang for your buck. You know exactly what you're buying before you click the buy button. Um, they really give you that peace of mind to know that for the money you're paying, you get the absolute best value in regards to your ticket. So again, that's our friends over at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app. Go, go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP against S-P-U-R-S-U-P to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive back Jimmy Legree. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2009 to 2013. During that time, he amassed 111 tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, six interceptions, one touchdown, one forced fumble. He was also part of the winningest senior class in USC history. Spent a year playing in the NFL with the Arizona Cardinals, some time as well playing for the Carolina Havoc in the Arena Football League. I'm very pleased to welcome the show former Gamecocks defensive back Jimmy Legree. Jimmy, appreciate you taking the time, man, and it's a pleasure to have you on. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for having me on here. Absolutely. So, Jimmy, let's go ahead and start uh, kind of from the beginning for you. You're a kid out of Beaufort, South Carolina. You were a three-star prospect coming out of high school. But it's funny, when you take a look at where you were rated as a prospect and your mm -hmm. career statistics, I feel like those two things don't add up. I feel like you were kind of an underrated guy. Um, just kind of talk about, first off, your recruitment to South Carolina, um, why you chose the Gamecocks, and then did you feel as a prospect you were underrated at all? All right, so um, starting off, first and foremost, um, I'm from a place called St. Helena Island, South Carolina. Um, just want to put that out there. Um, my recruitment process, um, I wasn't I wasn't much into the, the hype of things as far as, you know, five stars, four stars, or anything like that. Um, I kind of was the person that always let my game speak for itself. Um, so I would definitely have to give a special shout-out to my coach, Coach Jerry Hatcher. Um, he took the time out of his life to drive me to a, uh, a open camp, I believe, that South Carolina was having um, one summer. Um, I went up there, I believe, as my – going into my junior year in high school, um, we went up to the camp, just me and him, I believe. Might have been another teammate. Um, went out to the camp. That, uh, that's when I met Shane Beamer. Um, he liked my athleticism. Uh, he liked my ball skills. Um, he said I was a pretty, pretty good corner. Um, later on that evening, I believe, he called me and, and offered me a scholarship, my first D1 offer. 
um, I didn't commit right then. Uh, I kind of, I kind of talked with my mom's. I kind of talked with her for a little while. Um, I think it took like two days, and I called Shane Beamer right back, and I said, "Hey, uh, I'm ready to be a Gamecock." And then he was like, "Hey, glad to have you on board. Great decision. Let's get the things rolling." Um, funny story. I went to uh, football practice. Um, I believe the next morning it was like 11 o'clock when I called him that night before telling him I wanted I wanted to commit to the uh, Carolina Gamecock. And I went to practice the next day. I was walking out on the field, and the same coach that drove me to the camp, Coach Hatcher, um, as soon as I stopped on the field, he was like, Jimmy, get him chopping. I was like, what? I was like, well, what did I do? He's like, just get him chopping. I was like, man, I went to all my classes. I didn't cut any classes. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm just getting him chopping, and uh, he blow the whistle. I drop down, get back up. Um, I did like five up-downs, and then he uh, he hugged me. So I'm like, Cole, what's wrong with you? <laughs> he was like, boy, congratulations. You committed to South Carolina. I'm happy for you. And I just started laughing. I was like, well, thank you. You know, that, that was a way to congratulate me, making me do up-downs. But, you know, I definitely appreciate you for taking me and all of that. So I gave him all the glory for that. Um, and then uh, finding out, you know, three-star. I feel like a lot of the – I don't want to say best talent, but a lot of the better players, I'll go ahead and say, a lot of the better players are underrated. You know, they don't they don't come in with that hype or that expectation that they have to live up to you know, we, we always have a chip on our shoulders. So it's like we play more with an edge than any other player. You know, you got your five stars. They come and get everything handed to them. And three stars and below, you know, we got to work for everything. And, you know, that's fine with me. I'm I'm a hard worker. Like, you put in what you what you get out. You get out what you put in. Um, and I feel like that's, that's better for some people. Some people don't need that hype or those expectations. They just let, the, you know, the game speak for itself and then go where they can. So... Now, did you did you grow up a Gamecock, or were you uh, on the other side, or did you really did you have a dog in the fight really when it came to like any college football team? Uh, honestly, my favorite college football team was LSU. Um, growing up, it was it was one kid in particular. Uh, his name was Skylar Green. Um, I think it was like a punt returner, or, or he's an athlete for for LSU. And just watching him, you know, he, I I ended up liking LSU specifically because of him. Um, so that was a college of mine that I always wanted to go to. But, you know, once reality set in, I was like, hey, that's that's kind of far from my hometown. Family probably wouldn't be able to come see me play games or anything like that. So once I grabbed uh, – once I landed the uh, D1 offer from South Carolina, it was like an hour and 15 minutes from my hometown. So I was like, hey, that's way better. I know my family can make that drive. So I wanted to go ahead and commit it right then. For sure. So you mentioned Shane Beamer, Jimmy. Obviously, you played for a Hall of Famer as head coach as a, uh, in Steve Spurrier. Talk about what your first interactions were like with him and what your relationship was like with him, I guess, being a defensive player, because I know it varies. He's obviously more involved with the quarterbacks and the offense. But what were those first interactions like for you with Steve Spurrier? My very first time meeting Coach Spurrier was in high school. He came to my high school, him and Shane Beamer. Um, they flew into town. They uh, got me out of class, and we sat down. And basically, he was just congratulating me on landing the D1 offer and um, committing to Carolina. That was my first interaction with him. Once I got to campus, you know, he introduced himself we were in a big meeting room. Um, he has he has a very unique voice. You know, I'll never forget it. It's kind of like a high pitched voice. Um, a lot. What well, a lot of people might not know, Coach Ferry is one of the funniest coaches I ever played for. Um, is, is is always a good time with Coach Spurrier. Um, he, he likes to have fun, but then he likes to win as well. So you combine the two things, then that's what makes, you know, the coach, the, the legendary coaches. To have fun while winning the games, make players want to play for you and go that extra distance, you know, to compete at the highest level and, and win games. 
And I think that's what it was all about with Coach Spurrier, um, having fun, winning games, allowing players to become themselves and play to the best of their abilities. And that's what I like most about Coach Spurrier. Now, I've heard that about Spurrier before, that he's a hysterical human being. Did he, did he try to be funny on purpose, or was it just kind of his personality that made him, like, everything he said was just – just he just came off, like, dry humor kind of. You know, some people are just funny without trying. Yeah, to yeah. He was he definitely one of those guys. Uh, unintentionally just funny. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was his voice, his facial expressions with what he was saying. It was, it was just one of those you can't stop laughing. He could be serious as a heart attack, and he would just say something, make a face, and, you know, everybody kind of holding their head down laughing, but he don't mean to be funny. Um, now, occasionally he will crack a joke and, you know, he'll start laughing and everything. And even his laugh is funny to make more people laugh as well. So I think he's one of those guys He just has that personality. He's not trying to be funny, but, you know, he comes off <laughs> in, a, in a humorous way. What What's your funniest Spurrier moment you can tell in the airwaves? Uh, let's see. Let me think a little bit. One of the funniest stories. Um, I can't think of nothing right on top of the head. It would have to be one of them um, pregame meals when, um, I don't know, there's <laughs> it, it, some things he said, you know, I don't want to repeat too much, but, you know, just how his voice is, you know, he just got a high-pitched voice, and, and it, it's just funny. It's funny stories, but, you know, that might got to be told off air. Right. No, I got you. I got you. All right. So, Jimmy, let's dive into it. Obviously, you're a guy that's in-state. You understand the Carolina-Clemson rivalry. And I, you're one of the few, I would say. I'm not sure how many were there um, the time you were. I mean, you were literally there from 2009 to 2013. So, you were at USC for all five wins over Clemson in the five-in-a-row streak. Um, talk about, you know, what that was like. And, I mean, just how sweet is it, you know, to be able to say that you're 5-0, and not just 4-0, and but 5-0 and against Clemson as a Gamecock. You know, it's an honor. Um, looking looking at Clemson now, you know, they got some uh, national championships behind them. And to say that I was part of a team who never lost to Clemson, you know, it feels great. Um, growing up, um, well, actually in college, you know, I had a, a few friends of mine who actually played for that same Clemson team throughout the time that I was at Carolina. So it was like a in-state rivalry along with a high school rivalry view. Um, I don't know, it was just fun. Um, but, yeah, to say – I'm, I'm one of those guys that never lost to Clemson as an honor. Not too many people can say that. For sure. So I, I want to jump ahead in your career, Jimmy. Obviously, you didn't play a ton in those first couple of years. Obviously, you were redshirted in 2009 <laughs> and 10 and 11 played sporadically. But I want to talk about some specific games with you as someone that was that was on the field or in the environment. 2009 Ole Miss and 2010 Alabama, in my opinion, are games that really – shifted the 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 way we look at Carolina football and really led to those three straight 11 win seasons um talk right. about those games and where would you say those games rank in your mind as far as some of the crazier environments you've ever been a part of I would say the 2009 against Ole Miss I believe they were ranked number four at the time yeah um they had a, a hype about a guy uh athlete I think Dexter McCluster if I'm mm. not mistaken you know he was one of those gay uh guys we, we game planned against um and then, you know, it was always serious about, hey, don't don't let them boys come in here and, you know, in our own backyard and, and beat on us like that. So I think, I think, um, I like defense. I, I say our defense stepped up to the plate, took initiative and, and brought the fight to Ole Miss early. Um, and the name I would say, Darian Stewart, I think at that particular game was was definitely the MVP of the game, the player of the game um, at that time. You know, he held, I don't want to say we had like a spy on him with um, Darian Stewart, but he, he was, 
definitely shutting everything down. Um, and that was that was my like I would say the best experience early on in my career as far as William Bryce Stadium and you know hearing the hype and how loud it actually gets. Um, that was that was I would say if I had to rank that one, that would I would say top five. I would say that's number four. I'll give that four as far as craziest, wildest experience in uh, William Bryce Stadium. Now you mentioned Darian Stewart, and it just got me kind of thinking about you were you were there, Jimmy, really in the heyday of the the Goon Squad defenses. Um, who oh, yeah. who kind of started that? I mean, where did that come from? Because it just kind of seemed like it came out of nowhere. And I, you know, you obviously when you think of those defenses you were a part of, I mean, certain guys that stand out. But where did the Goon Squad uh, nickname for the defense come from? I would say it definitely. I would say it came out that 2009 year, the year I registered. Um, we had a couple classmates, or you know, classmates that I came in with who were um, uh, true freshmen who played. Um, and once they kind of got into that defense, they brought their own little swag to it. And I think once the the older guys got with the younger guys, I think they came up with that goon squad mentality, and and that's when that name came about. And then the younger guys, you know, me and my other uh, classmates, we we carried that on. For sure. So I want to jump, jump ahead, Jimmy, for you. 2012, really a breakout year for you. Um, you know, your stats in the year, again, the first two years at Carolina that you played, you combined for 12 total tackles. That third year, uh, 2012, you have 44 total tackles, a tackle for loss, three interceptions, and a pick six. Um, mm-hmm. What would you say changed for you as far as from your first three years on campus to that 2012 season where you're able to make such a big, big jump statistically? Um, I would say my confidence. Um, I, I believed in myself a lot more, and I had the supportive family. You know, everybody's saying, you know, Jimmy, you made it to the big stage. You know, go for it. You you want it, go get it. Um, so I kind of I kind of changed my mentality. Um, my first three years, you know, it was it was nice and it was, it was difficult as well getting adjusted to you know playing in front of eighty thousand fans. You know, versus what I was playing in front of in high school. So that that was a big change for me. Um, and like I said, confidence confidence plays a major key, especially on defense as a cornerback. You got to have confidence. So once I once I learned that and learned that about myself, you know, that's when I was more relaxed and able to go out and compete with the high level guys and make plays. For sure. So I talked about that pick six, Jimmy, the East Carolina game in 2012. You guys absolutely steamroll East Carolina, but uh, you had the pick six, the interception there for a mm-hmm. touchdown, the highlight we literally posted a couple of days ago. Um, yeah. th- would you say that was sort of your your coming out party as far as I think that was really the first time Gamecock fans had really – I'm sure they already knew who you were, but had seen you make a big play like that. I mean, would you say that was kind of your coming out party and sort of set the tone for what you did the rest of the season? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, uh, going back into that game, that ECU game, earlier in that game, uh, I can't remember the receiver. Now, he was number two. Uh, he was he was a talented receiver. Um, he was actually, like, getting off a little bit, like, like you know, having some good receptions and kind of, kind of, you know, trying to make us look bad as, as a unit. Um, I'm not sure exactly what quarter the pick came in, but I remember that play – exactly like what happened um we we called we called a man coverage and the defensive end that was to my side uh he was supposed to drop into the flats like a like a undercut um and it's funny story he lives right in front of me now in charlotte we laugh about that every day almost um he was supposed to drop in flats and he was supposed to have that pick but for whatever reason, his eyes were stuck in that backfield. And I told the safety uh, at the time, Bryson Williams, I said, hey, bro, I'm sitting on everything. If you throw it short, I'm jumping it. Please just have my back. And he said, I got you. 
the uh, receiver came up. I saw him chopping his feet. I didn't even hesitate. I just fired my gun and looked up. The ball was there. Caught it, 35 yards, I believe, something like that. Pick mm-hmm. six. First of my career. Um, and, yeah, it was definitely a, a, a party starter as far as what I did the rest of the season. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that was the first pick of your South Carolina career, and it goes for a touchdown. I know that, I know that had to be a, that had to be a really fun way to get that first one. It was unbelievable. Um, just looking up, like while I'm running into the end zone, looking at the fans, you know, just going crazy, and, and just screaming and chanting and cheering for me. I'm like, you know, me, like I'm, like you said, three star, sailing the island, you know, playing in front of maybe a thousand people, if that. Now to the big stage, eighty thousand. I just made a play. I got my name out there. Um, you know, I'm the reason they're hype right now. So yeah, it was definitely a special feeling. For sure. So you can't talk about the 2012 season, Jimmy, without talking about that Georgia game. Um, I believe it was five mm. versus six. College game days in town, and you I guys, the both squad, were undefeated. Yeah, both were undefeated. That you guys, the squad on defense. I mean, really, the entire team played their tails off. But I mean, you definitely. guys on defense. You'd been hearing about the, uh, you know the star running backs from Georgia all week, obviously mm-hmm. you guys completely shut them down, but just try to try to explain just that entire week leading up to, and then that day and that game, just, I mean, what that was like. Cause I, I'm sure the emotions had to be extremely high all throughout the week. And then obviously you guys go out there and do what you did. The emotions were at an all time high. Um, we knew what type of stage that game specifically was going to be on. Um, I think we had like a sold out record attendance if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then we had the advantage as far as it being at our home stadium. Um, so we, we, we prepared like any other week. You know, we took it as a, as a normal game. But in our mind, we know it's, it's a little higher than any other game. Um, so we went up. We had a, we had a strict game plan. Um, we stuck to it all week. We perfected our craft. Um, and then when game day came, I feel like that was the fun part. Like the, the hard part was practice that week, you know, that was over. Now it was just time to execute, go out there and dominate. And we at that time knew if we played together the team ball, we can dominate anybody that lines up against us. And that was our mentality that entire season. Like don't let nobody come in our home and, and beat us for one. And then don't stoop down to any other team level. We're going to play our ball. And if we're capable of playing, or we playing the way we're capable of, we can dominate anybody. And that game in particular showed just how dominant of a team we were. You obviously played in a lot of big games, Jimmy, but would you say that was the most fun game you've ever played in? Because I, I just have to imagine going out there and spanking your rival like that on that stage just has to be has to be pretty fun. I would say that was top one. That was that was the number one game that I I, I would say has been the most fun most craziest atmosphere as far as college goes yes that was number one five number five team number 16 both undefeated mm-hmm. they don't get no better than that that's what that's what we you know as kids that's what we dream for that big stage to go out in front of everybody and the whole sort of the whole world what we can do and that night we did it and i would say um shout out to Jameer bird um on that opening drive i believe he mm-hmm. i don't want he took an interception away from a georgia defender yeah, And I think once we saw that, you know, he definitely came to play. So everybody else stepped their game up and was like, hey, we're going to be in a dog fight and we're going we gonna to be on our P's and Q's and get it done. And that's what we did. Yeah, you could definitely say I'm, he 100% set the tone in that one and then you guys just took care of business the rest of the way. But uh, that following week at LSU, Jimmy, I want to talk about that when you guys, I believe, were number two in the country, uh, rocking the battle <laughs> armor jerseys. Um, yeah. 
you know, you nearly had another pick six in that game. I know the game didn't turn out the way you wanted. You guys just missed the W. But uh, you nearly had another pick six and by far the longest return of your career on an interception. Just talk about that play specifically. I was actually watching the highlight back. I believe it was a three-step drop, and I, I could be yeah. wrong, but it looked like it was a slant. You just stepped right in front of it. Just uh, just talk about that play specifically. What did you see? And uh, I'll ask you, man, how did you let somebody catch you and keep you out of the end zone? <laughs> All right, so that play specifically, um, me and DJ Swearinger, shout out to DJ. DJ is, is one of the most hardworking, humble guys I've ever been around. I've known DJ since high school. We ran track against each other, so big shout out to DJ. Um, that specific play, uh, studying game film, you know, we kind of we kind of knew what their tendencies were. I believe it was a third down, if I'm not mistaken. We knew if they come out uh, doubles to the wide field, slot guys off the ball. They like to run a wheel slant concept where the inside guy will bubble out to do a wheel and a slant is going to come behind them. So right before that play, uh, I believe he just said, hey, Jim, you see what they in? I was like, yes, sir. He's like, here it comes. So I, we already prepared for it. So once he snapped the ball, um, I can't remember the quarterback at the time. He did a three-step drop. His shoulders pointed to me. I shot my gun, picked it off. Um, and I would say I'm, I wasn't the fastest guy. <laughs> so. Uh, Kind of, kind of, once I caught the interception, it was like, all right, so now I got to score. I seen, you know, a lot of green in front of me. Um, a former high school teammate, Devin Taylor, was leading the way. So he led the way. I'm following him. I did a little cut in and out, in and out, in and out. DJ actually came up behind. I think he blocked uh, Odell Beckham. You know, I'm running. So at that point in time, it's like, I'm clear. So I would say I slowed up a little bit because I thought I had it. Um, and the running back just came and, and, and dragged me down from behind. So I blame my teammates. They should have turned around and blocked for me. <laughs> but <laughs> nah, uh, in my eyes, I scored that touchdown. That's that's how I see it. Whether I physically got in it, I set the offense up for an easy, easy touchdown. In my eyes, that was a pick six to me. <laughs> no doubt, I, I would agree with you 100. <laughs> um, yeah. Kind of, uh, kind of jumping around here, Jimmy. But I want to ask you your opinion. I know this is going to be a tough one for you, but uh, mm -hmm. again, you played on some of the best defenses in South Carolina history. You mentioned. DJ Swearinger amongst a bunch of guys you played with that are either still playing in the NFL or guys that are just Carolina legends in their own right. Um, if you right. had to pick one between the 2011, 12, and 13 defenses, which would you say was the best one you ever played on? Um, ooh, that is a tough one. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I would say 2012. I would say I liked all of the defense. Well, I'm going I'm to just say 2012 because it's in the middle, 2011 and 2013. I felt like we were right on our prime, and, and we had – of course, all five years were dominant, but that, that 2012, I believe we had some of the better games. That's fair. I, I would actually agree with you there. I, I kind of say the same thing as well. Um, yeah. For you guys, Jimmy, I mean, three straight 11-win seasons in 2011, 12, and 13. I mean, you know, Steve Spurrier talked a lot about during his tenure the amount of firsts South Carolina was making – with 2011 obviously yeah. being the first 11-win season. But did you guys realize the impact, like the, the type of history you were making at that time when you guys are reeling off these 11-win seasons? Um, Not not initially. We, we kind of was just playing to win games. You know, we go out there every every Saturday to compete and win, not knowing the history we were actually making in doing so. Um, but after each season, you know, we get we get the, uh, the bowl rings and everything. Oh, we got to – ring for 11 wins this season, next season, and the following season, you know, then it became like, hey, we're actually making history here. 
So then it's just from that 11th season, it was like, well, let's see if we can outdo the season before. And we come back with another 11th season. Let's see if we can outdo that season before in 2013. So at that point in time, it was like, now we're, now we're creating history. And then we want to, we want to make history as far as for the next upcoming generation to chase. So we want to leave behind the legacy of, of, you know, new history and have the upcoming teams try to beat out what we did. So that was, that was our mindset. No doubt. So I, I want to jump back into the end of that 2012 season, Jimmy. Obviously, you guys go to the bowl game, go to the Outback Bowl, and beat Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a pick in that one. You had an interception. Also, there was Clowney's hit in that game, which was a crazy mm-hmm. back-and-forth game. Dylan Thompson throws the game-winning touchdown pass to Bruce Ellington. Um, but let's yeah. stick with you and your interception, though. Talk about that play and kind of what it meant to you as far as to get that interception. Really, obviously, a play that helped uh, helped seal the bowl victory there. Yeah, um, that play. Well, before that game, uh, my family came out to the game, and uh, my brother, one of my brothers, EJ, he was like, "Hey, Jim, if you get a pick, you know, let me let me know what you're gonna do." Like, I was like, "Well, what you want me to do?" He said, "Hey, if you get a pick, throw up the X." You know, I think Des Bryant, Dante Hall, them guys throw up the X and everything like that. So I said, "I got you." So when that that particular play happened, um, the quarterback like he scrambled. He didn't scramble. He was like jogging laterally, and I was like, "There's no way he's about to run." So then it was like some kind of trick play they tried to do, and he just threw the ball up. So when I got the pick, I caught it, and I think Akeem was right in front of me. So I'm thinking the guy that he intentionally tried to throw the ball to, I thought I was passing. So I was like, Keen, you know, go block somebody else. But the guy tripped me up. Uh, immediately, as soon as I sat up, I turned around to where my brother and my family were sitting, and I threw up the X. So that was like one of the stamps, I guess, as far as, you know, what, what I did for my family. You know, they, they came to Florida – you know, that that entire college career, you know, my family did what what I expected them to do. You know, they got to travel. They got to witness me play on those big stages. Um, I believe that was the Buccaneer Stadium that we played in. Yeah, Raymond James, yep. Raymond James, you know, uh, where, where I'm come from, you know, we, we don't get to see stuff like that. So just taking that all in, you know, it, it was a true blessing. No doubt. So, Jimmy, I've got to ask you as well in that game, I mentioned Javion Clowney's hit, the, a play that will forever live on in infamy. As someone, as someone that was on the field for that play, mm-hmm. I mean, try to explain. I mean, did you see it happen? I mean, were you kind of bit – you know, obviously you were probably covering your man on that play, but, I mean, I'd have to imagine you heard the hit and if you saw it. I mean, just kind of talk about how crazy it was just to be on the field for what is probably one of the most replayed college football plays ever. Yeah, so so I I definitely heard it. Um, first, the play before that, you know, we got we got ripped off. Um, I, I yeah, think the, it was like the, the fourth down, uh, the the go for it. Yeah, I, the the measure yeah, exactly. The chain was definitely in front of the ball, but for whatever reason, whatever that ref saw, he still gave them that first down. We 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 were mad as a defense. So the next play, I think I think it was a it was a design run. Well, it was a run play. So my guy just ran off. So of course I had to run with him. Um, but like two seconds after the hut, um, it sounded like a car crash. Like it, it was, it was that loud. Like it was like, oh shoot! Like, hey, what just happened? So I jumped, turned around. You know, I'm seeing Clowney getting up off the dude, grabbing the ball with one hand. I was like, oh shoot! So I'm just running down, jumping like, oh, we got the ball back. So then, oh, you know, we all celebrating everything like that. Then I'm looking at the replay on the jumbotron. I was like, oh snap! It was, it was like a perfectly timed get off on his part as far as when the ball snapped. So when he launched through and it was it was just a clean hit. It was perfect for that situation. We get cheated the play before, 
He's like, you don't want to give us the ball? Fine, we'll take the ball. <laughs> and that's what happened. It's crazy, Jimmy, when you look back at those defenses you played on at just each level, you know, defensive line, linebackers, defensive backs. I mean, you guys were exceptional on each level. I mean, how much fun was it for you as a defensive back playing on a defense where the defensive line was so good? Because obviously they're pressuring quarterbacks to make bad decisions, making them maybe make throws they wouldn't make. Obviously, I'm sure it had to be very fun for you, not just you, but the entire defensive back unit to have that luxury of uh, those type of pass rushers helping you guys out. Definitely. As a DB, that's what you want on your on your front seven. You want your blind to be aggressive to where, like you said, the quarterback can throw some crazy throws and we get our we get our chances to make interceptions. Um those those defenses that I was a part of, we had that every single year. Um that allowed me, like I said, to 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 have more confidence in myself, knowing I trust my D line and my linebacker to put that pressure on them on the quarterbacks and everything like that. Um, that allowed me to gamble a little bit, causing me to make more plays and that, you know, getting getting that confidence about myself. And as a DB, you can't ask for anything more. You don't have to cover for more than three seconds, if that. So that that was a flesh that was that was a blessing as well, having having D line and linebackers as talented as the guys that I played with. For sure. So I want to jump to the uh, to the game down in Orlando, Jimmy, the 2013 season, that UCF game. Um, you actually had a pick yeah. in that one as well. You picked off Blake Bortles, who uh, I'm sure it's very fun for you since he's in the NFL, and it's kind of fun to say you picked yeah. off a, an NFL quarterback. But uh, that yeah. was obviously a very back-and-forth game, very close game, and you guys are able to pull away for the victory. But uh, just kind of talk about that game again. Obviously, the interception you had, but uh, – I mean, how good was that UCF team, would you say? Were they – because I know it was uh, – that team went on, I believe, to go to one of the bigger bowl games and win, I think. But uh, just kind of talk about that game, your interception, and being able to come out with the victory. Yeah. Um, I would say that that UFC team was underrated. Uh, they were they were highly talented and, and a powerhouse team at that time. Um, they, they were pretty, pretty good. Like you said, we, we came to win, but – they, that was a tough fight. That was a tough game. I want. I don't want to say we slept on them or overlooked them. Like we came to play. We started off slow, but you know, eventually we picked up the pace and got on board. Um, but that UFC team, they they were dominant. Um, and that play, that uh, that pick that I had, I believe we were in the cover three. Um, I was playing to the wide side of the field. Um, and right before that play, I believe Coach Wall would say, hey, Jim, stay home, stay home. Meaning, you know, don't don't cross over the center. Don't come on that side if I, if I got that third. So I was like, okay, cool. So um, it was some type of trick play once again. I don't know why, you know, <laughs> every team got their own trick plays. I think it was another trick play, like some kind of throwback, uh, double double throw, wide receiver reverse throw, something like that. Um, so when the, when the running back came out to the field, you know, I, I kind of baited it a little bit because he kind of got in my blind spot. I kind of act like I didn't see him, um, but then I, I I played it the whole time. Um, so once I once I saw the ball in the air, and my mentality was if the ball is in the air anywhere near me is mine, and that that was kind of um, led me to get that interception. Now being a big uh, Bortles, I don't know how he tackled me. I don't know how any of that happened. I, I guess I I didn't set my moves up quick enough or anything like that, but. It is what it is. Got the intercession, we got the win, and that's all that matters. No doubt. So I want to jump into another game, that 2013 season, Jimmy. uh, You had two tackles in the game, but that game in Columbia, Missouri, um, obviously will forever be known as the Mm -hmm. game where Connor Shaw came off the bench, you know, leads you guys to victory in overtime. But uh, 
I'll never forget one of the lasting images from that game because I was watching on TV and just seeing all you guys on the defense, I think even you specifically, just running off the field, overjoyed. I mean, try to talk about that one. And, I mean, just how crazy was that game? Because it was so back and forth. And once you hear the clank off the yeah. uh, off the upright, I'm just sure it had to be a crazy rush of adrenaline for you guys. It was. Um, that game That game was, was a very tough one. Um, I kind of had got down on myself. Um, there, was, there was one play. I think we had them backed up on like the five or eight yard line or something like that. Um, they had split two receivers out to my side and uh, me and me and Bryson Williams at the time were covering those two guys. And me and him kind of got mixed up. We was on the wrong page. And I think the guy went like 96, 97 yards or something like that for a touchdown. So at that point, you know, I'm, I'm mad at myself. But, um, you know, we, we pulled it together. And that last play when he missed that field goal, um, I don't think I ever ran and jumped that high and fast in my life. Just the excitement that we as a team had that moment, you know, just walking out of Missouri with the W on something that is practiced, you know, a thousand times leading up to the game day. And he he, he blew it. So we were very fortunate to, to win that game because of the mistake of Missouri. For sure. So I want to jump ahead, Jimmy, to the Florida game, 2013 Florida. You had an INT really to seal that one, I think, with a minute 20 left. Just for you as a senior, mm-hmm. knowing it's going to be one of your last games at Williams-Brice Stadium and your last SEC game ever at Williams-Brice Stadium, just uh, mm-hmm. just talk about that play and just how sweet that was to be able to close that game and really get the victory for South Carolina. That was another dog fight. Um, that was another dog fight. Um, right before that play actually happened, um, I believe I dislocated my thumb or something happened with my hand and I had to go get a tape. Um, and I, I forgot who I was talking to. And I was like, hey, and I need to sit out for a second. And he was like, no, no, we need to just, just play this last play or whatever. And I was like, all right, cool. So coach had called um, a cover two. Uh, you know, safeties, they deep, corners, they got the flat. So in that, that situation, though, I believe they had to get to the first down mark or they had to, they had to get, you know, a, a, a good amount of yardage to even consider trying to score. So on that play, I dropped back a little further than normal. Um, and then uh, I can't remember who put pressure on him. Uh, Walton, I think, Jonathan Walton, chased the quarterback out of the pocket, forced him to the sideline, and forced him to make a bad throw. So he, he literally threw it right to me. And so once I caught it, I said in my head, I said, hey, game over. Um, so when I got tackled, I literally I laid there for like 20, 30 seconds, just realizing, like, this is the last time I'm going to play in William Bryce Stadium. This is my final game here. Um, and I was just soaking all of that in, you know, all of the memories that, I, that I've had there and everything like that. But, but nonetheless, everything in that stadium was a blessing, especially that game. For sure. So I want to talk about you, – you mentioned your last game in Williams-Brice. I want to talk about senior night 2013. Again, I mentioned the five-game winning streak. You guys beat Clemson for the fifth time in a row. Um, mm-hmm. For you, your last one in Columbia, just kind of summarize the emotions you had walking out of Williams-Brice Stadium for the, uh, for the final time. Oh man, when they were doing the uh, senior introductions, you know, running out to to midfield to meet my moms, my brother, Coach Spuria, you know, waving at the stands, everybody in the in attendance. It was I felt I felt I felt appreciated. I felt loved, and and as a player, you know, you always want the fans on your side. So you know, just seeing that all of the emotions. Um, not to mention that was that was a, a birthday present to my brother. We played Clemson on his birthday night, 
Um, so I had got him to, you know, come down on the sidelines with us and, and watch us warm up both teams and everything like that. So that was even more of a reason to, to go out and dominate, you know, my brother's birthday, he, he got sideline and everything like that. Um, the final game that, that was, that was an emotional one. Uh, cause I know, I know college, technically college is over after that, you know, as far as my season goes, um, and they're just like, well, now what's next? You know, do do I give the NFL a try? Do I find a job? You know, it was it was so many thoughts rushing through my head. But um, yeah, once again, we we closed closed my college career out five and zero against Clemson. So it was a bittersweet feeling. Good that we we beat them, and then you know, kind of kind of bitter because it was my last home game. My For last sure. Game in yeah, for sure. So I, I want to talk about that bowl game that followed, Jimmy. Obviously, you had one game left. It was against Wisconsin. Um, nothing mm-hmm. – uh, kind of an off-the-wall question about this one, but one of your teammates, Vic Hampton, who I knew you spent some time with uh, in the uh, Arena Football League, the Carolina Havoc. There were a couple of different Gamecocks, but Vic Hampton was one of them that you played with in the secondary. Yeah. My question for you is simply, uh, has Joel Stave, the, uh, the Wisconsin quarterback, do you think he's recovered from getting his brains knocked out in by Vic Hampton? Definitely not. I think I think he probably hung it up after that. Um, <laughs> he probably realized he, he's not as tough as he thought it was. I, I don't think he realized what type of uh, hitter Vic was. So when the, that moment came when he could have slide, he he tried to drop his shoulder and yeah, Vic rung his bell. I think he had a immediate wake up call, and I, I don't think he's ever been the same since. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. So. <laughs> For you, you know, when I, you know, Jimmy, I said in the beginning of the interview, but when I say winning a senior class in USC history, what, 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 does, what does that mean to you now that, you know, you're, you've been away from USC for a couple of years and you've really had time to process that? That we have the winningest senior class in Gamecocks history. That means we set the bar for the next generation. Like we, we raised that standard as far as what South Carolina football is about. And we we've had some bad years prior to those those five years and everything, but you know that that's in the past. So so for those next five years of those winning this seasons, you know that's the new standard. And I feel like those next generation guys, you know that's what that's what they should be chasing to to outdo what we did. For sure. So Jimmy, for you, you mentioned you know you were kind of what was next after college. Obviously, you were an undrafted free agent, played in the NFL for a year with the Cardinals, uh, spent some time with them. But just kind of talk about your NFL experience and what that was like for you. Um, like you said, I didn't get drafted. Uh, me and my family, we had we had a small little cookout on my home in my hometown, um, watching the draft. Uh, I believe it came around to like the fourth round. I, I got a call from the Broncos. They were like, "Hey." We're thinking about picking you, you know, in this next round. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm excited. I'm excited. Hang with the phone. Next round go by. I think they picked the lineman. I was like, oh, snap. So, okay, that's what it is. Um, and then Philly called me. Philly said, hey, we're going to pick you in the seventh round. You know, nobody else gets you. I'm like, okay, cool. I didn't have my expectations up at that point because the Broncos let me down. So uh, seventh round go by. Then they're like, hey, they didn't pick me or whatever. Uh, sixth round, they didn't pick me. You know, the draft was over. So I'm like, oh, snap, I didn't get picked up. There goes my NFL dreams. So I walked outside. Um, you know, my family, like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry about it. You know, we'll we'll find something, you know, something to come from it. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't, I wasn't really trying to hear that. Um, and then not not even ten minutes after the draft, my phone rang, and it was uh, it was Seattle. So they was like, hey, is this Jim Lee Green? I'm like, yeah. 
said, hey, this is such and such Seattle Seahawks. I'm like, okay, how you doing? He's like, uh, did anybody pick you up? And I was like, nah, ain't nobody got me. So he's like, well, what do you think about, you know, coming out to Seattle? And I was like, well, shit, y'all just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> well, what you mean? That's a no-brainer. They're like, yeah, yeah. So they're like, all right, man, we're going to put you on a flight um, next morning or whatever, you know, we'll, we'll get you out here. So I actually went out to Seattle immediately after the draft, um, stayed out there, went through the mini camp, uh, went through some OTAs and all of that. Um, and then there's three cuts in the NFL. I made it past all three cuts. So the day after the final cut, you know, my name was still on the roster. So I'm thinking, oh, shoot, I made the team. So we good. So I called my mom. I said, hey, you know, I made the team. We're good. Everything's going to be good. Um, the very next day I was in the weight room working out. A guy walked up to me and said, hey, Jimmy. And I was like, yeah. He said, uh, Pete Carroll want to see you in the office. I said, okay. So I go up, uh, upstairs to the office, and Pete Carroll basically was like, hey, uh, uh, we're going to be letting you go. No, it's nothing personal. It's a numbers game, you know, that whole speech. So I was like, okay, cool. You know, I respected him for even, you know, seeing me face-to-face to explain that to me. So that I definitely – Kept my hat to uh, Pete Carroll. So um, I went back to the hotel room. My flight was the next day. And I was just thinking, you know, it was, it was a hurtful feeling to, you know, say that I got cut. You know, I, it wasn't no good feeling. So I immediately called my mom. and said, hey, I don't like this feeling. I'm done with football. I don't even want to try no more. So she was like, you know, just give it one more try. Um, so I was like, all right. Uh, my agent called me. He said, hey, uh, we got a few teams that still haven't done the uh, rookie mini camp. He said, we got San Francisco. Uh, Kansas City, Arizona, and Miami. Immediately, my thought was, I'm going to Miami. But, <laughs> and I was like, you know what? That might not be the smartest choice. Um, so I was like, well, let's go to Arizona. I've never been there before. You know, I'm thinking it's just straight desert, and I can only just focus on football. So that was my mindset. I went out there. Um, I went out there for a week, and it was just like the, the weekend mini camp. So I didn't pack, like, much or anything like that. Uh, so those three days, I got out there. I made a name for myself, made some good plays. Uh, the defensive coach said, hey, we're going to sign you. So I was like, okay, cool. So we go sit down, sign the contract. So I was like, hey, I need to, um, you know, when y'all going to send me back home to get my stuff? And they were like, well, you know, camp is about to start, so you're staying. And I was like, well, I only bought like a weekend bag. So they are like, all right, we're going we're gonna to send you on so you can get some more clothes. Um, so that was a funny story about that. Um, right then and there, I made a team, um, and then it went off from there. I mean, it, it was it – was, Everything you can think of it as as far as that NFL lifestyle, everything was it was wonderful. As an NFL player, you know, you're loved by so much. You, you everybody holds you to this higher standard. Um and it, it was just well not standard, but a higher platform. Like they, they appreciate you, they praise you in a sense. Um I don't know, I, I felt like that was that was a good thing. I, I loved it. Um then my career came to an end as far as the NFL. I, I tore my um my calf muscle. Uh, in a preseason game, the last preseason game um, against the Denver Broncos that following season. Uh, I don't even, I can't even tell you how that happened. It was one of those injuries you couldn't prevent, but I know it was a grade two gastro, whatever the scientific term was. Um, I was in a boot for like six, seven weeks, um, and then I had to do some rehab for like a month. So that's how that went. For sure. So I wanted to talk to you as well, Jimmy, about your other teammates, the other NFL Gamecocks. I mean, there's obviously a ton of guys that you played with specifically from those defenses that are, you know, still in the NFL, still balling out. I mean, I I know, again, for you, it's a sense of you wish, you know, you probably still wish you were at that level. Maybe you're trying to get back to that level currently now, what could have been. But I'm sure you take some pride as well in seeing 
seeing all your former teammates really making a name for themselves at the next level, you think of DJ Swearinger and Stephon Gilmore, Melvin Ingram, Davion Clowney. I mean, what's that like to see those guys uh, kind of living out their dreams, if you will? It makes me proud. You know, it, it, it makes me – it gives me that sense of sort of happiness to, to know that, you know, I, I, I sweat blood, I sweat tears, I, I shed blood, tears, and all of that with these guys day in and day out. So, you know, now they are NFL stars. Like, Alshon, he has a Super Bowl ring. Stephon, he has a Super Bowl ring. Melvin, in my opinion, is one of the best DNs in the league. Um, Jadavion Clowney, that name speaks for itself. Um, DJ Swearinger, you know, he jungle boy, hard-hitting safety out there. You know, just seeing these guys live out their dreams, you know, it, it is a is an honor to say, I played with these guys, you know, for the years that I played with them. I watched them grow. I watched them mature. I watched them ball out day in and day out. So it was like, that's what they deserve. They deserve to live this life. They put in the work. This is their reward. So I'm happy for every guy that I played with that's in the league. Jimmy, obviously the teams you played on at South Carolina left a lasting legacy. I mean, you've seen, again, we're still putting up highlights from those years. I mean, kind of reliving those years. Um, when you're talking about your personal legacy, what's the one thing you hope that South Carolina fans and really just football fans in general, when they think of Jimmy Legree, what's the, what's the legacy that you, you would say you hope you left behind or think you left behind at South Carolina? Well, I would hope they say I'm a great player. Um, definitely got the job done. I mean, I've, I've definitely made some mistakes, gave up some plays that I should have never had, but that comes with the game. Um, I would just like to say I felt like I left behind that leader legacy as far as on the field and off the field. Um, I felt like um, in my eyes I was I would be a good role model to any kids, any fans out there watching as far as, you know, going to class on time, not getting in any trouble outside of football, um, showing up on game days, putting my best foot forward every game, and, uh, you know, leaving it all out there on the field. I would just hope they would say, you know, he was a hard worker, he was committed, he got the job done. That's that's pretty much all I want. I just want some respect on my name. <laughs> no, no doubt. I, and, you know, it's funny. The reason I ask you that question, Jimmy, and I, I want to get your take on it. I don't know if you ever heard it from any, anybody else before, but uh, – when I announced you were coming on the show, you know, it's funny the amount of people that reached out and I actually had a couple of people tell me the most, one of the more underrated Gamecocks of all time. What, what, what do you, what do you think of when you hear that? How does that make you feel for people to, uh, to refer to you in that light? As the underrated, one of the most underrated. Mm. Um, well, thinking about it, um, I'm, I, like I said, growing up, I was never into those, those rating things or anything like that. I, that, that don't matter. Um, like I said, as a coach at um in Arizona, he was like, we don't care if you run four, two, four stars, five star. If you can play, you can play. And that that was my mindset throughout my entire football career. Like I never had to be the biggest, the fastest, the most dominant. I knew how to play the game, and that's what I did. So as far as being labeled, you know, one of the most underrated, I'm okay with that. I I don't I don't like that hype. You know, those five stars, they, they watch your every move. Like, I was I was good where I was. The three-star, that's fine with me. No doubt. And I, I would I would definitely say it's actually it, – it's more of a compliment to you because I think you, you know, in a defense filled with superstars, you maybe didn't get all the credit you deserved for the, uh, the level of play right. you provided, but no doubt. But uh, right. 
just uh, so I want to kind of switch the conversation. We talked about earlier in the beginning of the interview, you've been playing a little bit of arena football here and there with the Carolina Havoc. Mm-hmm. Just kind of update Gamecock fans um, on kind of what you've been doing since your days at Carolina and the NFL. What's, what's the life of Jimmy Legree like right now? The life of Jimmy Legree. Uh, after, after my NFL career, um, I actually went to Canada for a little while. I was out with the uh, Toronto Argonauts. Uh, um, that didn't last very long. Canadian football is a lot different than, than the NFL. Um, so I ended up coming back home or coming back to the States. Uh, and then I moved to Charlotte. Um, I, I found a decent job, you know, a pretty, pretty good job. Um, I have two beautiful boys now, you know, that they, they are a blessing. So I have two sons um, right now. Well, uh, I did have to have a little thing with the uh, Carolina Havoc Arena football team. And arena <laughs> arena is, is very, very different than uh, any other football games I play. You know, they're indoors. The, the field is like almost cut in half. It's like on a carpet. Um, nevertheless, I was blessed for that opportunity. Um, but but I would say I would say my arena days are probably over with. Um, so now, you know, I'm just living life, take care of my kids and, and taking it one day at a time. For sure. So, Jimmy, I'm going to get you out of here, but uh, last question for you. When you look back on your USC career, a career where, again, you were part of the the best era of Gamecock football and Gamecock football history, uh, part of so many great moments and great games. But when you look back on your career, Jimmy, what would you say is your favorite memory uh, in Garnet and Black? My favorite memory would have to be the one and only touchdown that I've ever got at South Carolina. It was the party starter. It was the one and only pick six that I ever had. That would be my most memorable moment in the Garnet and Black. No doubt. Well, Jimmy, appreciate you taking the time, man. Again, it was a blast. And I'll say I know I speak for other Gamecock fans when I say it was obviously a blast to uh, watch you, watch the defense on the field when you were there. And definitely I think you were a guy that, again, like I mentioned, the maybe the most underrated card, if you will, is certainly a compliment because you were a guy that balled out every single time you took the field. And again, that, I think your legacy is certainly solidified as being a major part of some of, 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 some of the, uh, the best defenses in school history. So uh, appreciate you taking the time, man. Would definitely love to do it again soon, talk some ball, and uh, would love to have you back on. Definitely, anytime. Set up the time and I'm there. Absolutely, will do. So for Jimmy Legree, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.